It's good to be home. Still feels like home. 14 years here and two months in Charlotte. A lot of people have been asking me, any regrets of leaving? The answer is no, <laughs> but we do miss you. Uh, Morgan and some of the girls will be here uh, tomorrow night, and um, looking forward to having them. I want to thank uh, Barry, Brandon, David, your wives, the Hot FM family for uh, releasing us, for praying with us, uh, for supporting us financially as we have recently transitioned up to Charlotte, North Carolina. If you have been following us uh, since we've moved or you have been following us during this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we have really just hit the accelerator all year. I'm really looking forward to taking a break after the election, asking God to relieve me. A lot of people got a lot of rest and a lot of time at home, and we kind of took off. And I've found myself on uh, some of the front lines in this nation of what God is doing. And so we've been to California, Texas, Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, South Carolina, Virginia, and many more states this year. I've preached to people and churches who they all wore masks, and I've preached in churches like this where there seems to be no mass. I have preached in states where literally the atmosphere is, will suffocate you. The fear is that real. And I guess we're in Florida where Governor DeSantis just said, it's over. <laughs> but I'm the kind of guy I don't really like to get involved in politics. <laughs> I believe this is about maybe the eighth or ninth year of Heart of the Fathers Fall Conference. If you don't know, welcome to Heart of the Fathers Fall Conference. <laughs> this one's called Blow the Trumpet. But our first one in 2012 was at the Lakeland Center with Corey Asbury. How many of you were there by chance? Some of the, the beginners. I'll never forget that conference because it cost so much money. We had to sell the church bus to pay them. How many of you know sometimes walking in the kingdom requires money? Not everything is free. Salvation's free, but maturity is expensive. Never forget that one. And then we did it again the next year. More faith. Has anybody ever asked you how much faith you have? I'm getting ready to do a telethon. Don't worry, I'm not going to scam people. We're going to raise some money for missions. 
And the television producer asked me, Sir, how much faith do you have? I said, Well, I've got a lot of faith. He said, Would you like to raise $500,000 or would you like to raise $1 million in one night? I said, Well, I've got a lot of faith. <laughs> But it's been a journey over uh, the last years at our fall conference. They're fond memories. I pray that another fall conference here is impactful, that God will open up our ears and our eyes to what His Spirit is saying. We are obviously living in very unique times in the earth. Uh, Donald Trump, as we were meeting tonight, just announced his Supreme Court pick. Uh, Miss Barrett has been nominated. And now we watch the hordes of demons come after her. And there will be many. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, Who will get ready for battle? And so with the title of the message, or excuse me, the the title or the theme of the conference being Blow the Trumpet, Tonight, what God wanted me to talk about was about a love for correction. How many people enjoy being corrected? In other words, there's a trumpet that's being blasted in America... God is looking for an army, a remnant. But what if we're not ready for battle? What if one of the requirements for being ready for battle involves training and discipline and correction? What if you just don't get sent over to battle lines? You actually have to go through boot camp. And so I believe tonight is a reminder from the Father that He is looking for a remnant. He's looking for a people in the earth that are going to willingly say yes to spiritual boot camp. And during spiritual boot camp, as we get our our armor ready for battle... God in His love is going to point out our blind spots. How many of you know that all of us have blind spots? All of us have areas in our life that need adjustment and they need correction. And oftentimes God is going to use people 
that we have a problem with to correct us. Have you ever read a good quote and the only reason you didn't receive it is because it was the person who said it you didn't like? Or how about your wife? What if correction not only comes for those from those we have a problem with, what if correction is also hard to receive from people that love us the most? I can already think of three occasions right now where I've been rebuked and corrected. The sting still lingers. I don't know about you, but I don't really like correction. But I'm learning as a son of the Father, as a soldier in the army of the Lord, that should I ever stray from believing I don't need correction, I'm in trouble. I remember being called at 21 years old by a mentor and father who said, Jeremiah, I love you. Happy birthday. It was my birthday, December 24th. Happy birthday, Jeremiah, I love you. And by the way, you're not living a life worthy of the call on your life. Click. It was like one of the worst birthdays in memories. Sat down on my bed and began to cry and felt this deep sense of conviction followed by a deep encounter with the Father's love. I want you to track with me tonight. I know it's so hard. The Father corrects, or the book of Hebrews would say, the Father disciplines those that He loves. Bill Johnson would quote John 15... And he'll say that the Father rewards our growth by pruning. In other words, it's actually a sign when the Father disciplines you and corrects you, not only that He loves you, but in many times, in many ways, you're actually headed in the right direction. This is going to be an interesting night. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit who's here to help us to swallow some medicine down. Father, we want to be an army that looks and acts and talks like you. We want to be an army that knows how to follow directions, who understands authority and command. God, we give you permission to tell us what to do. God, we thank you that there are consequences for our sin. Thank you for the many ways and in the many seasons that you've come to us 
you faithfully rebuked and corrected us. God, we thank you for that. Let us not be an army that runs from correction. Let us not be like the scoffers who hate correction. Let us be like wise men and women who love reproof. In Jesus' name. If you have in your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Again, I believe that God is readying an army in the earth. And I believe that part of an army getting ready for battle is us learning how to love being corrected and us learning how to embrace rebuke. One of the hardest words to hear when you feel like you're ready is you're not ready. I look at the world around us and then I read revival history, I read awakening. And I am absolutely convinced that the status of the world is simply a reflection of the church. We have no power and authority over racism in the streets because there's a spirit of racism in the church. We have no power over sexual immorality. We can't stand against the homosexual agenda in America because we have a heterosexual problem in the church. And so our world is drowning with so many issues that we have a front row seat to on the media and on the television. And I don't know where you go when you look at the chaos, you look at the rebellion, you look at the pain. For me, I don't spend any time worrying about them out there. I ask God for repentance for you and I in here. It's a historic weekend right now in Washington, D.C. Jonathan Kahn has put on an event called The Return. Franklin Graham has called the nation to repentance tomorrow. I believe that many parts of the church are waking up to this reality that I'm sharing tonight. That it starts with us. Before we want to pull the speck and before we want to point the finger at them out there, there's some serious cleansing and there's some serious repentance and there are some serious issues in the house of God that we must address as a people. But if we dare to address these issues... People are going to get offended. And people might not give in the offering. And you might lose some friends. And the crowd size might minimize when you start talking about sin in the house of God. 
Because when sin goes unchecked, when there are no longer consequences for sin, in a spirit of lawlessness, it's a spirit of the Antichrist, when that begins to weave its way in the house of God, we look more like Babylon than a bride. And I've been preaching it everywhere that we go that I'm convinced that the wheat is being separated from the tares, which we're about to read. That we have to honestly begin to look in the mirror and do some personal examination. We need to look at the friends that we're choosing to bring into our inner circle. We need to look at the leaders that we're aligning ourselves with. Maybe needing to be way less impressed with their gift and way more impressed with their marriage and family. There are things that we have adored and we have gazed upon in the church that are very displeasing to the Lord. So I believe that God is coming in His love, again, not because He's angry. Because many people, when you talk about correction and discipline, they associate it with anger. That God is just waiting up in heaven to whap you and I over the head because He can't take our sin anymore. But I actually want to tell you that the Father in His love, have you ever made the mistake as a parent of not addressing a sin in your child's life and letting it fester? And all of a sudden they do the same thing for the ninth time and then you go off? You stored up that wrath and then bam, you probably did more harm than good? I just want to encourage you as Christians your father isn't like that. Your father is actually seeking to actively discipline and correct you so it doesn't sting as bad. He really doesn't enjoy, he doesn't get something out of you suffering. The writer to the Hebrews says, your father's discipline you for their good, but your Father in heaven disciplines you for your good. I've been sharing and touching on the orphan spirit that I believe is part of our major issue in the church of America. Where when that disconnection from the love of the Father and His discipline when that thing gets severed, we begin to receive correction as rejection. And so when the Father steps in and He begins to shine His light, when He begins to prune, when He begins to say, no, no, we, we oh, He doesn't love me. He's rejecting me. Rather than when he comes and he addresses the blind spots 
there should be an eruption of joy and gratefulness and thanksgiving that erupts out of us because I have a father who loves me so much that he does not want to see me spend another second, another breath away from communion with him. He's seeking to remove everything in your life that gets away, that gets in the way of intimacy with him. He really, really does love you. His love is pure. His intentions are a hundred percent good toward you. And we are all on a journey to be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. But there's a fire that's being turned, turned up in the earth. There's a real revealing. There's a real exposing. That's happening in our world today where now more than ever you're going to see what people really believe. You're going to know now more than ever where people stand concerning abortion. You're going to see now more than ever whether people are more loyal to the color of their skin than the gospel. You're going to see now more than ever if people really believe that I can sleep with my boyfriend and girlfriend and still be saved. The sin that was once so kept secret is now being thrown in your face. The devil is raging and he is shouting and meanwhile the church in many places is silent. But why are we so silent? We're guilty. The reason why there's not more voices, the reason why the BLM and the Antifa, the reason why there's so much rioting and looting and there's no answer is because we're compromised. We have been neutered by sin. We have lost our sharpness. We have lost our clarity. We have become confused. We have bought into false love and false justice. We have become a culture guided by our feelings rather than the truth of God's word. How it makes me feel is not an indicator of whether it's true or not. I'm actually going to tell you in this most overly sensitive culture. I mean, they, we're living in a world today, they will get offended about anything and anything that has nothing to do with them. And we'll destroy people's property, we'll riot and loot, we'll just get crazy and buck wild. Why? There's no consequences for sin. But where does that come from? You know where it comes from? Mom and dad. 
see us charismatic Pentecostal folk, we're ready for extended meetings and miracles and Lord break into America. Can I just whisper to you a little secret? America getting changed and getting on the right track is not going to come through more revival services. It's going to come through parents who learn how to tell their kids no. Like my, my honest opinion as a, a son of charismania, grew up in it my whole life, is we have got this far in 2020 due to charismania that was more addicted to conferences and extended services than they were concerned with healthy marriage and family. So COVID-19 hits, the churches are shut down, and I fear that many people are just waiting till 2021 to get the ministry mill back up. As soon as November 3rd hits, we'll just go back to doing what we were doing. But maybe this whole virus and maybe there's some divine redemption involved in it. Maybe it's been a divine opportunity to take a step back and begin to evaluate how we got where we are in America and make some changes. See, I'm telling you, God is blowing a trumpet in this nation. And he hears the cries of the people for awakening and revival. But really what he's saying is there's no awakening and there's no revival if you can't accept my correction in your life. There's no evidence of being born again if you won't welcome my discipline. You're illegitimate, you're orphan-hearted to think that when I step in and shine my light, you don't, he doesn't love me. He loves you. I see a revival coming. I see an awakening coming. But I see it coming to living rooms. I see it coming to dining room tables. I see it coming in the mundane. Like where no one sees it. I see a perseverance and an endurance that's so needed in the church today. The wheat and the tares. I call it the harlot bride and the consecrated bride. There's pressure and there's fire that's come to our nation and we are going to see the difference. We're going to see the difference between a people who love the correction of God and a people, an illegitimate Babylon bride who hates and spurns the correction of the Lord. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus in red letter edition, verse 24. Look at your neighbor and say, you'll be okay. Look to somebody else and say, he loves you.
Verse 24, he presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do, not, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them away, but gather the wheat into my barn. How many of you believe that we're in a season of harvest? I believe that we're in harvest time in the USA. I believe that there are millions of souls that are awaiting the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I believe that when we begin to exalt Jesus in our homes, we will begin to see our neighborhoods won over to the Lord. Remember, I just didn't say when we lift up Jesus in our churches. I said when we begin to manifest Christ at our physical address where you live, you will begin to see your neighbors come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But in the time of harvest, Jesus is talking about wheat and tares. I believe that Jesus is speaking to them trying to communicate a greater prophetic picture to them. What we know concerning wheat and tares is that the only time that you know the difference between the two is when they're harvested. And when wheat and tares are harvested, how you can tell the difference is when a wheat is harvested, it bows down. But when a tear is harvested, it stands straight up. In other words, when the hand of God, when the harvester comes and he begins to come after his harvest, you'll know the difference. In other words, when God begins to correct when God begins to expose, when God begins to reveal areas of our lives that need His help, the prideful and the arrogant will resist Him and stand up to His correction. They're tears. But when the hand of God comes 
and finds his sons and daughters, and he begins to reveal the blind spots in their armor rather than stand up and be proud and make excuses and talk about the sin of the world, they bow down and they get low before him. They operate in a spirit of humility and repentance. There's so much deception. It's so hard to discern, which I'm going to talk about tomorrow night. It's so hard in our world today to recognize who's true and who's false. Social media and the media have made this almost impossible. But from heaven's perspective, the difference between the tare and the wheat is do you love correction? In other words, God is looking for an army in the earth who will follow his instructions. He's looking for an army in the earth that are actively seeking, Father, is there anything between you and I? Is there anything in the way of love? He's looking for people who are going to invite it. In other words, when's the last time that you invited someone to correct you? Some of the ones that I've known in the kingdom of God to make it and flourish are the ones who actively came to me and said, Jeremiah, if there's ever anything in my life that you see that's off, bring it. And it wasn't a one-time thing. They came again and again and again. See, that demonstrated a heart that not only loved correction but sought it out. That was a heart that wasn't under religious condemnation. That was a heart that wanted to please the Father. Is there anything? Not because I'm unsure if He loves me, but rather I'm so sure that he loves me, I just want to do what I can. Look at your friend circle. Look at the friends, look at the leaders that are in your life. Have you opened up that door yet to correct you? We've seen an onslaught of Christian leaders in America that have had another affair here, another money laundering. How did they get there? They got there from ascending into a place in the body of Christ where they were above correction. They isolated themselves. Remember the proverb, they that separate themselves seek their own desire. Do you have any of those friends or maybe it's a sister or brother? When they go ghost on you, you know what that means? Like they just, there's no communication for a couple of weeks and they're definitely in sin. 
You don't even, you're, it's not judging, it's not accusing, there's just ghost. In other words, they isolated, they wanted to go do their own thing. They had to separate themselves from community and accountability. See, the whole pandemic, Hebrews 10, it says, do not forsake the gathering as some are in the habit of doing. See, the problem is, yeah, I couldn't get to church because of corona, but has not going to church become a habit that needs to be broken, that has allowed you to sin and it not be called out? Has it allowed you to be out of the presence and glory of God where you could experience His conviction? Telling you when you get a habit and you keep feeding it, it gets harder and harder to break. In case you're angry with me or you don't like me, that's okay. It's so funny. No, I won't say that. We get, nah, never mind. Those days are over. <laughs> Proverbs 12.1 Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. So I don't know if I was clear enough tonight. Like the Bible says that. Stupid people do not like correction. Proverbs 15, 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. Talk about self-hatred. Self-hatred is born from people who hate correction. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself shames his mother. I wonder how many young people are bringing shame to their mama in this nation. One of the things that I have observed on my own journey of learning the discipline and the correction of the Lord and watching the church and watching saints and leaders is there is a difference between an immature Christian and a rebellious one. There is a difference between someone who's new to the faith, who honestly is trying to figure out what it means to love God and hate evil. There's a difference between immaturity and rebellion. And the only way you can tell the difference is correction. They look the same on the outside. The rebellious person 
who knows better and the immature person, the only way, it's like the only way to tell the difference between the tear and the wheat, the only way to tell the difference between the rebellious and the immature is correction. When corrected, a rebellious person hates it. An immature person, when corrected, humbles themselves and makes changes. That's a word of wisdom for spiritual leaders, lest you waste your time on rebellious people. Oh, I'm telling you what, folks. There are a lot of people, your friends, your family, a lot of people visit pastors' offices. They have zero desire for change. Some family member's going to come to you and they're going to be wallowing in their sin and they're going to have done it the fifth time and you're going to have to discern is this someone that's immature and needs help and needs time and needs care or is this a rebellious person who is willingly choosing to disobey the commands of the Lord? remember walking with a brother who got drunk for about the 98th time. And he had some good seasons and some bad seasons. And he was up and down, up and down. He was emotionally wounded. Didn't know how to receive correction. And I remember him coming to me on the 99th time and I was sitting with him and I felt the fear of God in my office begin to manifest. And I began to cry. I said, brother, I feel the grief. I feel the fear of God right now. And I said, the grief and the fear that I'm experiencing is not so much regarding your sin It's actually because the testimony of Jesus is being literally, it's being defiled. The testimony of Jesus is being defiled. What if not choosing to sin had less to do with us and more about our witness in the earth? What if the world was actually watching how we responded to correction? I remember several years ago I made the mistake of making a major decision without my wife's counsel. Any other fellow knuckleheads in here? And the decision that I had made was to make a large purchase with our finances that I was going to do it whether she wanted me to do it or not. I don't know about you, but I mean, thank God for a godly wife. I just got spanked like a month ago and it hurt. Sickos. I mean, man, discipline hurts. It does not feel good to be told the truth. But you know what? Before the truth sets you free, it will make you angry. 
before the truth sets you free, it's going to make you angry. That's how I ask people, when's the last time you heard a message that made you mad? Oh, brother, I thought the point of gathering was to make me happy. I thought I was supposed to go to church to make me feel good. No, this word of God is a sharp sword meant to cut off the fat in our lives. It's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two double-edged swords. But when you know people that know this word, you're in trouble. And I made this large purchase, and God bless her, she didn't say anything. You know, sometimes I just feel led to say this. Sometimes you don't need to say anything because the Holy Spirit knows. Sometimes he's going to get a mama. Sometimes you don't need to put pressure on your husband. Sometimes you need to put pressure on God. Sometimes he knows they're lying better than you do. I'm trying to help somebody. Sometimes being the Holy Spirit police and trying to correct this person and that person over time makes you blind to your own need for correction. Sitting in church, hearing a convicting message, thinking about how it's for somebody else and really it's for you. Thinking about how it applies to your spouse and your mama and really it's trying to hit you between the eyes. There is a blindness called pride. It's a monster. It comes to oppose real sonship, real living and active maturity in Christ. The Holy Spirit came and he got me. He convicted me. I went back to her and I repented. And the Lord said, that's not enough. I want to tell you folks, a lot of us just saying sorry to God, you need to make it right with people. Repentance has to go full circle. See, I had made a large purchase and I had bought something and the Lord said, you're going to give it back and you're going to tell them why. You're not going to make up some story about why you don't need it anymore. You're going to tell them how you sinned against your wife. I'm telling you though, the father loved me enough to not let me get away with it. Letting us get away with it. Letting us cut corners and take shortcuts is not going to help you long term. In fact, in the kingdom of God, you will circle again and again and again until you surrender and until you submit. I mean, honestly, it's just like, well, let's just get it on. That's been part of my approach to the kingdom is, Lord, I don't want this to take any longer than it has to. 
I don't want to be 40 days away from my promised land and I don't get there till 40 years later because I'm stubborn, because I'm prideful, because I won't listen to anyone, because I'm always thinking it's the Democrats because I'm a Republican. Uh Uh-oh. So I went and gave it back. And I think I lost about 5,000 bucks. And I told them I sinned against my wife. And they laughed. I don't have some prophetic story of them getting converted. I got a story of I look like an idiot. (laughs) Hold on, though. And I walked out of there embarrassed. And the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, this is called healthy shame. Like that embarrassment that you feel, that you experience, that sting, is to remind you never to do it again. But brother, if it makes me feel bad, it's the devil. Oh, folks, we've developed theologies in the charismatic church that anything that cuts the flesh, anything that we bind the devil in the name of Jesus. Remember, I ministered with a brother. He had an altar call for an impartation for maturity. Anybody that wants to be mature in Christ, of course, he took up an offering before that. Shyster. Anybody that wants to be mature, let me lay hands on you. And we went in the back green room, and I said, Brother, and I'm sorry, I said, You're a liar. I said, You can't impart maturity to Christ. I said, you should have prayed for trials. Anybody want to mature in Christ? Good. Let's ask for trials and persecution and testings and temptations. Because that's how maturity comes. Overcoming, winning the battles, shutting off the computer, waking yourself up. Making it right. I just read an article of a man who received a check for $4,000 in the mail. From a man who said, sir, I was drunk one night 19 years ago. And the best that I can see on the phone book, you still live at the same address. I slashed your tires. I looked up online the value of four tires for the vehicle that I slashed the tires. And I'm working myself back into a relationship with God. And he put it on my heart to make this right. Folks, he wasn't saved. He was in an AA program. Which, by the way, teaches in some ways people to get more right with God than the church will. 
We just, in the name of Jesus, fall down at the altar. You, you don't need to go back and make it right. You don't need to make restitution. It's the only way we learn. Boundaries, they're for our good. Correction, it keeps us from danger. Can I read a dream to you? We'll start landing the plane. In 2015, I had a dream where I was standing on the east coast of our nation and I looked up into the sky and there were two large storms that were gathering off the east coast. I was somewhere in Washington, D.C. I remember looking to my right, I could see the tip of Florida. To my left, I could see Maine. Obviously, you couldn't see that in the natural, but I saw that in the dream. And there were two storms that began to form off the east coast. The first one revealed itself to me as tolerance. And the second revealed itself to me as rebellion. I said in the dream, the perfect storm is upon America. The two fronts immediately began to move toward me and demons began to manifest inside of them. As these storms began to pass over my head, I cried out to America, this is the most rebellious and tolerant generation that's ever lived. Watch the news. As the storms came, they began to come over America. There was a horse in the dream. And I jumped on this horse and I felt compelled to begin to warn churches in America that spirits of tolerance and rebellion, a perfect storm, were coming to the nation. And I had Paul Revere put in my mouth which Paul Revere was a man who rode on the horse warning that the British were coming. As I rode my horse, I visited three different types of churches. I don't really know how many exact churches I mentioned I visited in the dreams, but they were only one of three churches. The first type of church I visited had sleeping church engraved on its doors as i opened the doors to these churches everyone was in the middle of a service i would hurry and relay the message to them only to be shocked to see in these churches everyone including the pastors had pacifiers in their mouth I began to warn them that they were like the church at Sardis. They had an appearance of being alive, but really they were dead. There was a type of entertainment drive-through feel in them. Everything on the outside looked lively, but when I went in and tried to warn them, pacifiers in their mouth. The second church I visited met in the streets of America. 
upon seeing all these different gatherings in many cities in the street church, I was delighted because they looked like millennials. I began to interview and ask members of this particular gathering if they heard about tolerance and rebellion, and they began to laugh. I continued in the street on my horse until I found myself at a gathering of thousands of them where they were rioting and looting. As I pressed into the crowd, there was this incredible sense of chaos and confusion. I asked the Lord, who are these people? And he said, these are the products of the works-based gospel in the 80s and 90s. These are they who have rebelled in the name of grace, but not in the name of my son. The Lord said to me that they would resurrect false doctrine, such as denying the existence of hell, believing that everyone gets into heaven. I visited the sleeping church. I visited the street church, and then I cried out in the dream, God, would you take me to your church? And I walked up to a gathering that had surrendered church on its doors. So there was a sleeping church, there was a street church, and then there was the surrendered church. God said to me, my church was deceived by rebellion and tolerance. The street church you just saw stormed out of the back because of the lack of emphasis on my word. But my church has now awakened and shall be repaired. I wrote this in 2015. I woke up from the dream recognizing that America is in deep trouble. There is tolerance and rebellion that will sweep the streets of America. There will be rioting and looting. There will be sleeping churches on every corner, drive through and entertainment. But shall the surrendered church arise? And now we fast forward to 2020. Or what we're witnessing is a rebelliousness and a tolerance and sin being unchecked like never before. We're seeing the wheat and the tares. We're seeing a bride and we're seeing Babylon. My question is, where are you tonight? It says in Revelation 18, we're almost done, describing Babylon. It says that she had become a dwelling place of demons. Another translation says that she had become a habitation. In other words, a safe place for sin. Are you a safe place for sin? Can people sin around you and not feel convicted? Because I really believe when we begin to walk in righteousness, 
When we begin to carry the light of God, people and friends and family are going to get uncomfortable. But brother, I thought the church was all about making people comfortable. I thought it was about the donuts and the coffee and how fast we could get in and out and watch some performance on the stage and go back to our lives. You see these two dueling brides that are arising in the earth. You have the harlot Babylon who's a habitation, a safe place for sin. And then we have in Revelation 19, the next chapter, it describes a bride who's making herself ready. In other words, there's a bride who's welcoming correction. There's a bride who's saying, search me and know me, O God. Find any offensive way in me and lead me, folks. The spirit of Babylon, the Antichrist, the lawless one, whatever you want to call it, it's running in the streets of America. But then there's the bride. What if we won back the narrative in America? What if we got tired of sitting on our rear ends and watching the news be dominated by an antichrist spirit? What if the ecclesia, the remnant, the bride began to emerge and arise, but we actually had a witness? We actually had power and we actually had authority because we don't compromise in the secret place. We raised up mighty arrows that were at the city gates because mom and dad made a pack that no matter how hard it gets, when little Johnny and little Sally want to rebel, I'm not going to back down. What if we loved people enough to offend them now so they, they don't spend eternity in hell. I don't really like the language, but like what if we got a little tougher? Like we got a backbone? We matured? We grew up? We weren't so shallow? So anemic? So sensitive? He loves me, he loves me not. What if we got rock solid in the love of the Father that in walking with him, there's nothing that he can't gain access to? What if we stopped hiding our stuff tonight? What if there's a trumpet blast sounding on a Friday night in Lakeland saying God is preparing an end-time army he wants you in it, but you got to gird up your loins. Like we've got to get bare before the Lord. 
It's interesting when the New Testament speaks of putting on the new man. Most every reference it says you have to take the old man off first. What if God is wanting to literally clothe? He's wanting to crown. He's wanting to commission an end time church that's making herself ready. But he's saying in verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying regarding Babylon, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive of her plagues. What if God is saying to his remnant bride in America, come out from among her. Your silence on issues of your day has become your sin. See, we, we can't even have conversations about hard issues with people getting mad and leaving. You can't even talk to people about abortion or racism or they, they just they flip. But this is this kind of, can we get to the place of maturity and wrestle through these issues and risk getting offended? Can we wrestle our way to getting ready for the coming of the Son of Man, or we're just, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to act like there's not a war for the destiny of America. I was telling Barry as, as he picked me up from the airport, as a young man, I, I'm, I'm run with so many fathers in the body of Christ that are well-known names that have said to me on multiple occasions over the last two months, I have never in my life seen so many demons raging in America. And I've looked at three of them and said, I hate when you say that. Because really what I want to hear is I have never seen the church emerge in this hour I've never seen them rise like this. But so long as we're compromised, so long as we're in bed with the world, so long as we refuse the correction and admonition of the Lord, we'll never arise in the glory and the splendor, the true glory that's going to rest on the last day's church. I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to plead with you. But could you hear the voice of your father tonight? I love you too much to leave you the way that you came in here tonight. I have such great plans such great destiny for your life that I, if I leave that sin unchecked, you'll never get to where I want to bring you. 
Will you let me love you tonight? Jesus said, I am the vine. and My father is the vine dresser. Abide in me. In other words, when we abide in Jesus, that's the best place for the vine dresser to come and correct. Many people only know the vine dresser disconnected from the vine. They were plugged into religion. I want to invite you tonight to abide in the vine. How would you come? I want to invite us tonight at the opening night of the Blow the Trumpet Conference. I want to invite us to not look at the world, not look at our friend, not look at our spouse. Let's look into the eyes of Jesus. Let's abide in Him. And as we abide there, let's welcome the Father to come and shine light to come and bring deliverance. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is here tonight. I believe that the devil has been lying to some of you the whole time I've been talking about how you can't get free. I want to tell you that the blood of Jesus is so powerful that concerning sin, it's no longer that you can't it's really that you won't. I want to tell you that the blood of Jesus is so powerful that concerning sin, it's no longer that you can't, it's that you won't. The blood has taken away our I can't. God forgives sin, not excuses. I'm going to open up these altars. I'm going to join you. He has great plans. A future, a hope, a glorious, mighty, radiant bride. But he's calling us. He's calling the church come out from among her. If you feel God knocking on the door of your heart, I want you to come now. If you feel like there's a stronghold in your life that you can't get free from, I want you to come. If you struggle with pride, where you literally feel like you're blind to confessing your own sin, I want you to come. You're not coming to an empty altar. You're just coming to the open arms of your Father who loves you so deeply. That it's literally an encounter with his love and his correction that will change everything. If you have any sin in your life, 
could be sexual immorality, but it could be lying. It could be pride. I want you to come. Holy Spirit, we invite you here tonight. sitting down and you have a prayer language, I want to ask you to begin to pray. Part of our calling is to bear our brothers and sisters' burdens. I don't pity anyone down here. I'm thrilled. I'm excited. So if you're sitting, would you begin to pray in the Holy Spirit? your heart's beating real fast that means you need to get up here you don't need to waste another day another second running away from the ways of God all right let's lift up our voices a little louder I want you to pray like their family they're a son or daughter pray like you care if the hot of them if we have any prayer team any of the deacons are here, any of the prayer team, you want to come down and pray. We love you, Lord. We bless your name, King Jesus. Would you come and rule and reign in this nation? God, we thank you that you're preparing a bride, a beautiful, glorious, spotless, matchless, Bridegroom King, would you come? God, release the gift of repentance in this nation. God, we stand in the gap in Lakeland on behalf of a broken, hurting nation. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice, O mighty ones, that the King of glory might come in. O God, deliver your church from casual harlotry. God, restore the fear of who you are. God, raise up a bride. Raise up friends of the bridegroom, pure, holy, undefiled messengers. God, we're asking tonight, would you come and mark us? Would you come and set your seal upon our hearts? There is a love that's stronger than death. Come on, just 30 more seconds. There's a realm of intercession. There's a realm of asking tonight. Oh, God, blow a trumpet in this nation. Come and sound an alarm, God. Come and gather the elders, gather the people. Consecrate a fast. Oh, God, deliver the church from Republican, Democrat, 
Trump and Biden. Oh God, we make an appeal to heaven. We make an appeal to the king on the throne. Only you can save us, oh God. Great and glorious king, would you come and reign? Would you come and take mount upon our hearts tonight, God? Come on, the rider on the white horse is coming. Get off your high horse and let him begin to ride. Stop telling him what to do. Let him be the commander of your life. You're sitting, let's stand. Let's begin to ascend into the heavenly place. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Lord, we're not giving up on America because you're not giving up. Come on, there's more. Don't look at me. Look at the king who's on his throne. Lord, would you come and rule? Would you come and reign? Would you make justice and righteousness the plumb line once again? Bless the Lord Jesus. Come on, shake that lethargy off of you. Shake that complacency off of you. God, I'm asking for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Come on, some of you need the fire. You need the romance.
come back to that first love.
ministered to down here. I want to let that continue to, to happen. But I just want you for just one minute. Can you picture her? A glorious, radiant, spotless bride. I can see her. That's readying herself in America for the coming of the bridegroom king. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Beloved, I want to encourage you tonight do not get discouraged by what you see on the news. Recognize the fight, the spiritual war in America. But rather than put your host and trust in a political party or a ministry or a man, put your hope and put your trust in Jesus Christ. He's blowing a trumpet. He's looking for a bride who loves correction. Tomorrow night I'm going to be sharing on the great need to discern who our real enemy is. I want to encourage you to come back tomorrow at 6. God is ministering to you. Please stay put. God bless you as you go. Feel free to stop by the table. God, I pray for rest. I pray for peace. Pray for holy dismissal tonight as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be mindful of those God is ministering to. Take your conversations to the lobby. God bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow.